0: From Clearfield to Camp Hill, Greenville to Grantham, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, the hotly contested 2022 midterm election is now underway, with Election Day itself almost upon us. We get an overview of the races on this year's ballot from Chris Nicholas of Eagle Consulting. Ridership on the state's mass transit systems has not yet bounced back to pre-pandemic levels and may never do so. Frank Gamrat and Eric Montardi have an Allegheny Institute report on how the systems need to adapt. And good policy makes good politics. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity, Pennsylvania, has a Lincoln Radio Journal commentary on the role policy issues play in the electoral process. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to Chris Nicholas in just a couple of minutes, but first news headlines from patownhall.com. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court has unanimously ruled that undated mail in ballots cannot be counted. The High Court's action comes after the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in a Lehigh County case related to a judicial election last year, that such undated ballots could not be counted. Despite that, Pennsylvania's acting Secretary of the Commonwealth directed county election bureaus to count undated mail-in ballots, leading to lawsuits, which ended up back before the state Supreme Court. State law clearly requires mail-in ballots must be signed and dated, but that provision has been the subject of controversy and litigation for over two years. So if you vote by mail-in ballot, be sure to sign and date the outer envelope. And with Election Day almost upon us, it is best to deliver your ballot directly to your county election bureau rather than placing it in the mail. Equity markets have suffered significant losses thus far in 2022, with an impact on 401k and other pension plans. The Public School Employees Retirement System, or PSIRS, has seen a 6% drop in the value of its investments, down to $69.8 billion from $74.6 billion. The State Employees Retirement System, or SERS, has dropped by 10%, a $3.7 billion loss in value. Pension systems must continue paying beneficiaries despite having significantly lower earnings. Should the systems not have enough funds to cover obligations, The difference will be made up by taxpayers. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. The airwaves have been flooded with ads for months. The candidates have had their say. And now it is time for We the People to speak. Pennsylvania is again playing a pivotal role on the national scene and control of state government also at stake in the November 8th election. Chris Nicholas is here to take a look at what is on the ballot, He is a veteran political consultant with Eagle Consulting and a television commentator. Chris, welcome back to Lincoln Radio Journal. Chris, of course, the marquee race in Pennsylvania is the race for the United States Senate, John Fetterman versus Mehmet Oz, getting a lot of attention nationwide. Your thoughts on that race?
1: It has been getting a ton of attention, Lohman, both here at home and across the country. We are a purple state here in Pennsylvania and both candidates are evenly matched both are well funded both in their campaigns and the outside groups helping them and after the recent debate where lieutenant governor fetterman had real issues enunciating his uh, answers in the debate it garnered even more attention for a couple of different reasons one people legitimately concerned about fetterman's you know rehabilitation from a stroke and then the political angle of it and We've seen some polls since the debate that show the debate hurt Fetterman and helped Oz. We'll see how it goes in these last, uh, last days. But it has been interesting to me that in the last week and a half or so, both candidates have shifted to running some purely positive ads uh, at the end. The governor's race, on the other hand, has been kind of a snooze fest between the Democratic nominee attorney general, Josh Shapiro and the Republican nominee, State Senator Doug Mastriano from Franklin County in south-central Pennsylvania. The most recent numbers I've seen are that the Shapiro campaign has spent in excess of $44 million, and the Mastriano campaign is right at about $3 million. So it's tough to win when you get outspent 15 to 1. Spending $3 million, which is what the Mastriano campaign has done so far, is just not enough in in a competitive big state like Pennsylvania. And that race has been flying under the radar because until about a week and a half ago, no one had seen a Mastriano TV ad. They've been flooded with ads from from Attorney General Shapiro. So we've had one race which has garnered a lot more attention than even most people thought it would, the Senate race, and then the
0: opposite in the governor race. One of the areas where we're not seeing as much attention as what I think we would agree there should be attention turned to are the races for Congress. We have all members of the U.S. House of Representatives up. We have, what, 17 seats now in Pennsylvania? We do have
1: 17 seats now. Lowman, nine Democrats and eight Republicans. None of the eight Republican incumbents are in danger of, of losing. On the Democratic side, though, four of their nine incumbents are in competitive re-elections. Well, let me take that back, three of them, and then one is an open seat. So the open seat is in uh Western Pennsylvania. Congressman, Democratic Congressman Connor Lamb decided not to run for reelection. He ran for Senate in the primary and lost. So that seat is open. Democratic incumbent Matt Cartwright from the northeast part of the state, NEPA, NEPA, as we call it in the political world. He has a strong challenge from a repeat challenger named Jim Bognett In the Lehigh Valley seat, the 7th District, Congresswoman Susan Wild has a strong repeat challenge from Republican uh, Lisa Scheller. That seat is the most Democratic seat that was moved towards the Republicans in the redistricting. So that one's up for grabs. And then in the Western Philadelphia suburbs, the 6th District, which is Chester County and part of Berks County around the city of Reading, represented by Chrissy Hoolihan, is getting a very strong challenge from the Republican candidate there, Guy Shiraki, uh, who most recently was the head of the Chester County Chamber of Commerce. So you have a chance that up to four Democratic-held seats could flip, and the larger story here, Loman, is that you have four competitive Democratic seats in Pennsylvania, two in New Jersey, at least three in New York. So in those mid-Atlantic states, which range from purple to deep blue, you could have enough seats flip that the Republicans take back control of the House of Representatives just from those three states, regardless of anything else. Uh, so that's the story that I think has not gotten enough attention. So when your listeners are watching the returns on Tuesday night, keep an eye out on the congressional races here.
0: As we look at these congressional races, uh, Chris – National forecasts appear to suggest that Republicans are going to score major gains in Congress. That typically happens in the first midterm of a a new presidency. Do you see that sort of red wave forming, helping the congressional candidates and even Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania?
1: Yeah. So, Loman, this is all based on uh, what your listeners may have heard about in the news, the generic vote. And in the generic vote question we ask in polls, like my firm does, hey, in the race for, say, governor, will you be voting for the Republican candidate or the Democratic candidate? So it's a generic ballot test because we don't use the names. It's just the parties. So before the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, that generic vote ballot was running very good for the Republicans. Then after that, it turned back. And through all the summer into early September, Uh, It was that way. And then since about mid-September, that question, which is a divining rod in politics, has again veered back to the GOP. A Republican pollster, Bill McIntyre, who I've worked with before, tweeted out earlier this week that the reason you're not seeing a lot of Democratic-leaning polls is because they don't have good results to tell. So in that case, you (laughs) – you hold back you hold back the results so what the generic vote moving republican does kind of a rising tide lifts all boats situation so it helps every republican on the ballot and hurts every democrat so a race that might be 50, 53 47 now could be a toss up and that works for republicans and against republicans for democrats and against democrats depending on what type of of cycle We're in this cycle. We call an off year because it's not the presidential year. And I've often returned to, re- referred to off-year elections as meat and potatoes elections about mm-hmm. basic economic day-to-day things that families worry about. And this year, unfortunately, because of increasing inflation and supply chain issues, it's literally turned into a meat and potatoes cycle as people – one of the things about groceries and gas is people usually buy those a couple times a week right Mm -hmm. you don't you don't buy a new refrigerator all the time you don't buy a new house all the time but a couple times a week you're at your local grocery store or at the gas station and you can see how that goes up and when gas goes up it means the family has less money to do something else so maybe they don't go to the local pizzeria every Friday for a pie. Now it's every other Friday. So now that pizzeria has – because more of our disposable income is going to the gas stations and the grocery stores because people have to eat every day and they have to mostly outside the cities be driving every day. So that's one of the things that's pushing this cycle
0: towards the GOP now. And we also have on the ballot races for state Senate in half of the Senate districts and all of the Pennsylvania State House. There was a redistricting of all of those districts. And I think everybody agrees the redistricting very heavily favored Democrats. Does this put Republican majorities in those chambers at risk? What was so odd about this redistricting, Loman, is that the
1: results were bifurcated. The results of of the redraw in our 203 state house seats strongly leaned towards the Democrats. They broke up a lot of our third class cities, the Lancasters and Allentowns of Harrisburgs of the world to give themselves more seats. The Senate redraw was pretty much even, Stephen, what most redraws are pro-incumbent, So I've been saying for a long time that I think the state house majority of the Republicans, which they have 113 seats now, you need 102 to control it. I think that's in play. The Senate, I think both sides might trade a couple seats, but I don't see a big difference. Right now it's 28 Republicans, one independent and 21 Democrats. I think it's about that. So I think that may basically stay within one seat of each other. So what's interesting is that any campaign is about the three things: the candidates, the district, and the political environment. So the Democrats in the state house have the advantage in in the districts. Candidates are probably about even. The political environment now is tilting back towards towards the GOP. So that again, just like in the congressional races, makes it harder for every. Democrat in a competitive seat and every Republican in a competitive seat. So if I had to make a prediction now, I'd say, again, the state Senate stays Republican within a seat or two. The state House is harder to judge because there's a lot more balls in the area, you know, 203 and probably 40 of them are competitive in some way, shape, or form. So I think it's come back a little bit towards the Republicans. But like you said, everyone's state House seat is is up Half of the state Senate, we elect half the state Senate every two years. And this year, being the governor's year, all of the folks in even-numbered state Senate seats will be be up for re-election. So when you go to the voting booth on Tuesday, if you're voting in person, if you're still filling out your mail-in ballot, don't forget
0: those races further down the ballot. And if you're still filling out a mail-in ballot, best to take it to a drop box or to the Election Bureau. Take it
1: to your county courthouse is the best thing to do because you don't want to go to all that trouble to vote and then uh, have a,
0: you know, postal service issue. And the polls will be open 7 a.m. till 8 p.m. on Tuesday, November 8th. We have been talking with Chris Nicholas, veteran political consultant with Eagle Consulting. Chris, where can folks find you if they want to learn more about the upcoming election?
1: They can follow me on Twitter at Eagle63. They can head to my website, EagleConsult.com. They can also look for me Sundays on most TV stations across the state where I serve as the Republican analyst, they call us, (laughs) on the only statewide Sunday show on Pennsylvania politics. Uh, The show is called This Week in Pennsylvania.
0: Tune into that. Chris Nicholas of Eagle Consulting. Chris, thank you for being here. Thanks, Loman. You may have noticed that public transportation buses are largely empty as ridership has not bounced back to pre-pandemic levels. That is having a financial impact on mass transit systems and changes are now necessary. Here to take a closer look are Frank Gamrat and Eric Montardi with this Allegheny Institute report. Hello
2: and welcome to the Allegheny Institute Report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. I'm your host, Frank Amrat, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Eric Montardi. Uh, You recently did a policy brief looking at what's now known as Pittsburgh Regional Transit and the ridership totals for August 2022, and how do they compare to the pre-pandemic levels of 2019?
3: That latest data shows that on bus ridership, overall, ridership was down 37%. And on light rail, it was down 52%.
2: So we're seeing the ridership just has not come back from the pre-pandemic levels. As a result, you made a note that bus uh, routes, bus capacity is below what it used to be. How many bus routes does PRT operate?
3: As of August 22, they had 95 bus routes.
2: And what about the light rail routes?
3: They're operating three light rail routes.
2: Okay, so on these routes, mostly the bus routes, I believe... The the buses just aren't very full. How full are these buses as they go through the area?
3: On bus and light rail, the percentage change from August 19 to August 2022, it ranges from 11.4% to 86.9%. There were some routes that were less than 20% below. There were some that were very significantly down in the 75 80-85% 80-85% range, again, going all the way down to 86.9% was the, was the bottom. Now, looking at how PRT classifies their routes and seeing was there some type of pattern here, the bus routes that were down the most significantly are what they refer to as commuter or, or rapid routes, which is connecting downtown Pittsburgh to Oakland or using part of the busway with not a lot of stops so that the vehicle is moving fast and the, all those routes were running on weekdays. It has to do something with remote and or flex schedules that are still in place or people just not going back to the office and then not needing to, to ride five days a week at 9 a.m. and then coming home at 5 p.m. Because that's where, that's where the significant decreases in ridership were, we're on these commuter and rapid routes and the ones that operated weekdays only. Right,
2: right so we're seeing a, a shifting, a changing of the work culture. We've written about this a while ago, with vacancy rates still being high. And of course, people commute into town on public transportation because it's easier than having to find a place to park and dealing with the backed up parkways. What does that do? You have less full buses, less full trolleys. What does that do to the cost structure on a per ridership basis?
3: It exacerbates what peer. PRT was before the pandemic, which from their annual reports, our work when you're comparing PRT to peer transit agencies around the country, it was middle of the pack on bus cost per rider and then toward the high end on light rail cost per rider. Now when you compare where PRT is with ridership being down and not a lot of changes obviously they are now four months into their fiscal year there were no layoffs even though ridership has been down the amount of expense went up that is simply just raises the cost so you know, based on a reasonable estimate on the cost per rider boss, you're looking at somewhere around $9.87. Again, higher than pre-pandemic. And light rail, close to $26. How that compares now with these peer transit agencies will become clear when their data becomes available, but it's definitely higher. It is up from where it was in 2019.
2: And of course, $26 a rider, light rail, almost $10 per rider on buses. The transit agency gets a lot of money from other areas, not fares, obviously. Light rail riders are not paying $26 a trip. Where does this money come from to help subsidize these riders?
3: The bulk of it that's replaced the turnpike money Mm. is a transfer from the general fund sales and use tax. When Act 44 back in 2007 was passed, and that was the legislation that made the turnpike make these annual payments to PennDOT, that was in place for the foreseeable future. Then mm-hmm. when Act 89 came along in 2013, it was written into that legislation that after 10 years, the $420 million that was coming from the turnpike to what's called the state's Public Transportation Trust Fund would drop to $50 million. That gap would then be filled by an additional transfer from sales and use taxes. So right now what you have is that transfer, the $50 million, from the turnpike. There's money from the lottery. Then there's another thing called the Public Transportation Assistance Fund, and that is tax on tires, excise taxes that are there. Mm -hmm. So that's the money that the state then holds in that trust fund and then distributes it to PRT and the other transit agencies in the state.
2: Now, in the brief, you say that the governing bodies need to do much better as being stewards of our tax dollars. What recommendations do you have for the transit agency? And quite frankly, all transit agencies because I'm sure others across the state are dealing with the same issues, not just a Pittsburgh problem. What recommendations
3: would you have? Specifically on the bus routes, I mean, it involves moving the smaller buses. They're not carrying that many people. How can you justify running a full-size bus? The majority of the fleet that PRT has is either 40-foot or 60-foot articulated buses. They have 30 or so 35-foot buses, and we have recommended for a long time that they start to use smaller buses. On light rail, the options to lower operating costs are limited to fewer trips and running single unit trains. We're already into both the state and the PRT's fiscal year. PRT has already recorded $68 million in general state operating assistance. And then at the county level, county's 2023 budget, which would start January 1st, they're already budgeting $49.5 the Regional Asset District, which is a special purpose government, contributes $3 million as a local match. It is really well past the time that the entities that match the state money say, we want to see some changes here for how the operations are going on at PRT and withhold the money. It's also good you know, for the state to think that. I mean, that's why this PRT board was reformed now 10 years ago. PRT has the federal COVID money. They are just spending that, and they will say it'll last, depending on how ridership returns, meaning could run out in 2024, 2025, 2026, depending on how quickly their ridership returns. But again, that's not anticipating making any kind of changes in terms of the vehicles, major overhaul of the routes. At this point, they do quarterly service adjustments and they might change the frequency, timing. That's essentially it. And I think the next one is supposed to go into effect this month.
2: If you'd like to read more about this or other topics, please visit our website at AlleghenyInstitute.org. Thanks for listening to the Allegheny Institute Report on the Lincoln
0: Institute Radio Journal. This year's campaigns have featured a lot of distractions, but at the end of the day, the candidates' positions on the critical issues facing the state and nation will matter most. So says Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity, Pennsylvania, on this Lincoln Radio Journal Commentary.
4: 2022 has marked several political milestones for Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania. Our political engagement hinges on leadership for our issues, for incumbents, and for new candidates, alignment on those issues that we prioritize with a commitment that these candidates will work to advance those chief priorities. Each of the individuals we've endorsed for the 2023-2024 General Assembly are individuals who have fiercely committed to working collaboratively with their colleagues to ensure Pennsylvanians have an unencumbered path to live their unique version of the American dream. For incumbents, we based our endorsements on their voting records with a large emphasis on their historic grades on both mid-session and full-session scorecards. For the first-time candidates, we conducted policy interviews and coupled that discussion with their completed questionnaires. This allowed us to decide their potential alignment from economic progress portfolio issues around fiscal and regulatory reform to criminal justice and healthcare. We analyzed dozens of the 203 races in the House and 25 in the Senate. This process allowed us to pursue several political firsts for our chapter. For the first time, we endorsed several candidates in the primary One of those engagements was for Representative Natalie Mihalik, who serves the 40th Legislative District outside of Pittsburgh. Representative Mihalik is a member with an undeniably strong record of not only supporting but championing transformative reforms that Harrisburg so sorely needs. This session, she introduced first-of-its-kind legislation for a constitutional amendment to finally privatize the state-run liquor industry. When we consider what it means to get back to, quote, good government at the state level, the elimination of the Commonwealth's role in liquor sales is arguably ground zero. We also endorsed Representative Greg Rothman running for an open seat in the 34th Senatorial District. In the House, Representative Rothman has been a leading voice for permit transparency, which would grant applicants greater access to the progress their permit application is making through a given agency's decision-making process. He's also championed transformative labor reforms that would provide greater protections for public sector workers, a First Amendment right worthy of greater defense. Another first for our chapter was the endorsement of seven first-time candidates. Spanning from districts in the northeast of Pennsylvania to the southwest, we have backed candidates who fully support our personal option approach to health care policy and who support reform to the budgeting status quo in Harrisburg. The districts include both open seats and challenges to several long-tenured incumbents. To highlight an open seat, Cindy Kirk is running in the Open 30th Legislative District in the North Hills of Pittsburgh. She's a candidate with a history of local government service on Allegheny County Council who spent her career as a nurse. In both of those capacities, she's shown a dedication to fiscal prudence by opposing tax hikes on council and enthusiasm for expanding access to care through nursing scope of practice reform. In total, we've endorsed 18 candidates, an all-time high for General Assembly. As you think about your selections for state office, consider candidates who desire challenge to the status quo. We need reformers who will prioritize transformational legislation instead of advancing compartmentalized and diluted bills that stand to impact a select few. If there's one resounding theme to what our team has heard on the doorsteps of Pennsylvanians from Pittsburgh to Palmyra to Philadelphia, it's that they are struggling. And relief can be granted in the upcoming legislative session with a composition of members who will prioritize Main Street needs over state street wants. We look forward to seeing you at the polls on November 8th. They are open 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. I'm Ashley Klingensmith, State Director with Americans for Prosperity, Pennsylvania. You can find us on Facebook by searching at PAAFP and can follow us on Twitter by searching at AFP Pennsylvania.
0: If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, LincolnRadioJournal.com and LincolnInstitute.org. For 27 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including WGGY and FM in Pittston, along with WJASAM in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.
4: Thank <laughs>